I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. We're the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., As you probably know by now, because I say it every single week, we're also one of the top online business resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. Today, I have some very exciting news to share with you about this podcast. You're now among over 5,000 unique listeners to the Artist Business Plan every month. And even more exciting, you're tuning in from all around the world, over 70 countries and growing every single week. We love connecting with you, providing support and guidance for artists and art professionals around the world, but we need your help to make us the number one art business podcast out there and make sure everyone else can find us too. After you listen to this episode with the engaging Christopher Jobson, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. That helps business-minded artists just like yourselves find the artist business plan and benefit from our and our guest advice and perspective. All right, so now on to the fun part. We are here today with Christopher Jobson. Christopher is fascinated by visual culture across a wide range of disciplines, and he is committed to making art engaging for everyone. Christopher launched Colossal as a personal blog in the fall of 2010, somewhat blindsided by the publication's success, which is huge, by the way. You need to check out Colossal. He soon left his day job to run the site full-time and began contributing to publications such as Wired Magazine, Beautiful Decay, Mental Floss, Slate, Design Boom, and Quartz. He studied design, art, and writing at Columbia College. He lives in Chicago. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. We're glad to be here with you. Now, we have a bit of a tradition before we get started, and I'd like to ask you something that helps our audience get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And the part B there is, when did you realize you'd be dedicating your life to art and culture and design? Uh, I had the, the chance to go to a, uh, a Montessori school, I guess, for a couple of years uh, in grade school in Austin, Texas. You know, there are a lot of really interesting parents um, who had their kids at the school. Uh, you know, I'm thinking back, like it was really easy to visualize like what a parent might do for a job, like being a nurse or a teacher or uh, a fireman or whatever. And there was one, one of our classmates, uh, Gwendolyn, we, everyone knew that her dad was an artist and it was so difficult to conceptualize as a child, you know, what does it mean? You know, your dad's an artist, like, what does he, he do? So we would sort of like talk about it and it was this big mystery. And one day so happened that he had an exhibition in Austin. Uh, he was teaching, I think at the university of Texas at the time, we all piled on the bus and we went on a field trip to see Gwen's dad's, you know, art exhibition. So we walk in and we were not sufficiently prepared to see this work. There were, they were giant canvases, uh, you know, in a large gallery space, super bright colors, faces like melting bodies kind of, you know, merging into each other big text bubbles. You know, we didn't know it, I think, at the time, but these paintings were dealing with sexism and racism and celebrity culture. They were anti-war, 
and anti-capitalism and they were like funny and weird and angry so the artist gwen's dad was peter saul um, who is sort of one of the fathers of pop art and he i think just had uh his first major new york show at the new museum just last year even though he's got to be close to you know 85 87 years old now left this huge impact on me seeing this work uh, that was unlike anything we I had ever encountered before, the scale of it. And I think what was important is that, you know, we were being taught that this work was important, that, you know, this artist's perspective was important, and that other people clearly thought it was important, um, you know, to be having this gallery, uh, you know, to have this exhibition in this, this space. I'll just never forget walking in there and, and seeing that work, uh, it just sort of exploded my idea of, you know, what art was far beyond, you know, what you might see like in a, in a textbook. Wow. So as you've been talking, Christopher, I did Google Peter Salks. I wasn't immediately familiar with this work. To the listeners out there, you need to check this out. The way that Christopher's describing it is absolutely true. I mean, this is like mind-blowing work, like really in your face with the colors and the themes. I went to a Montessori school too for about a year and a half. I think I was like six or seven. So I'm not terribly surprised they took you on this field trip. That was a that was a very like experimental, but also very formative thing for me. I didn't stick with it because all my friends were in public school and I wanted to go to public school at the time. But I'm glad I was there for a year and a half. And it sounds like it made a big impact on you as well, Christopher. Also, I'm not surprised, you know, knowing Colossal and knowing, you know, your guys' editorial slant and what you cover, I'm not surprised this was your first exposure to contemporary art. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, a very, uh, very impactful thing. You know, I'm super grateful. It was, uh, I went to Austin Montessori School and just was super grateful that they were open to, like, letting us have that have that experience and that we get access to, to Gwendolyn and her dad. I I hope some of your teachers are listening right now. (laughs) Cool. So let's go from that amazing story and dive into our questions today. So Christopher, I'm going to start with the kind of the most obvious one. What inspired you to create Colossal and how did it evolve into this huge site media outlet that it is today? I, uh, you know, studied studied art and and design and writing uh, in college, and after graduating, I sort of just took the first job that I could find, which happened to be in finance. I worked as a graphic designer, you know, in my in a cubicle. I had to get dressed up every day, go to downtown Chicago, did corporate websites and security badges and presentations for executives. I think if anyone follows Colossal. You can tell that I was probably in the wrong place. The, the people were wonderful, and I was very fortunate enough to have this stable job. But it was sort of soul-sucking work. It was just not uh, where I was, was meant to be. One day was I uh, had jury duty, of all things. I, this was in 2009, and I went down to, you know, to serve on a jury. And the first thing that happened when I got there was they sort of came over the the loudspeaker and said that there weren't going to be any cases today, but you're going to have to sit here until three o'clock. I didn't bring anything to do. Like I didn't bring a book. This was really before smartphones. I didn't have a phone to look at. There were no magazines. There was like, I think like Judge Judy was on TV. I sort of found myself in a place where I didn't have a way to distract myself. 
I don't know what I, this is really telling on my part, but I sort of had an existential crisis. Like all of a sudden I was in this room. I was thinking like, I'm really not happy with my career right now. I'm not doing really anything for myself, you know, creatively speaking. I'm like, who am I to be this young kid who's got a stable job to have a panic attack in jury duty? But here I am. The only thing that I could think of to sort of help me think through it was I got out um, a piece of paper and I started writing a list of a hundred things. This I just pulled this out of my my head. A uh, hundred things that I was going to do in the next year as part of like a creative bucket list exploration like project. I wasn't looking for a new job. I wasn't looking for a new hobby. But I thought, you know, for one year, I'm going to try a whole bunch of stuff, and maybe I'll find something that is so rewarding or that makes me so happy. That the you know going to this job you know it becomes fulfilling in some way. So I print. I took it very seriously. I printed this list up on three sheets of paper. I put it on my closet door. Um, I hung a pencil next to it, and for the next year, I just started crossing stuff off this list. I read certain books. I started running. I ran a 5K. I took like a class. I took ceramics classes. I took a kayaking class. I took guitar classes and was just like looking for something to like latch on to. So the fall came around. All I was left with were these just garbage things that I had been putting off. The things that I put on this list that were complicated, that were sort of like poorly formed ideas, or they just didn't seem fun to me. But I had taken the list so seriously for the last seven or eight months that I forced myself, you know, to start doing some of these other harder things. And one of the things down in the 70s, I just wrote, start a blog. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a fiction blog where I was going to publish short stories with really cool illustrations because I knew a lot of people in the writing community and the art community. And I thought maybe I could tie it together. And so I kind of designed a template for a blog and I told myself, I'll do this. I'll post three things a day for two months and then I'll cross it off the list and then that'll be done. And that'll be like, that'll meet the requirements for the project. I found out very quickly that I loved it. I loved sort of reading other art and design and culture publications and making discoveries and sharing them. I published very seriously every single day. It was a very easy rhythm for me to fall into. You know, social media was just becoming a thing. So I, you know, opened a Facebook account and an Instagram account and a Tumblr account. And I shared some of this, those discoveries on these other social media channels. It took a long time. It took months to find a direction, but I knew that I was interested in, in, in photography and in sculpture and installation. I was really interested in like documentaries and the design of objects, physical things, that tangible things that were sort of out in the world that you could look at and hold and touch and, and experience. I don't know exactly what to, to this day, I don't know what to exactly to attribute it to other than the curation and, and social media, but the site just exploded. Within a year or two, I had millions of readers, and by the third year, I was able to quit my job and start publishing uh, full-time. But I want to emphasize here that as a publication, 
I published for over two years before making Ascent. It was really a labor of love, learning how to synthesize things, find things that I thought were interesting, grow an audience, have a conversation with them about what they found interesting, what I found interesting. So there was a lot of work there that sort of happened before the site was, you know, on people's uh, radars. Wow. First of all, it's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. Second, there's so much valuable stuff to unpack there that I think like anyone could take these lessons to heart. This came about as I would say, like kind of like a boredom is the mother of invention sort of thing. You happen to be in jury duty, you know, in this day and age or in this world or whatever, but we're all so glued to phones and schedules and emails and the myriad of things that we have to do every day. But taking that time, if, and if you can engineer it, like you don't have to go out and try to get jury duty like Christopher did, but if you can kind of engineer that space where you actually sit down with yourself without any distractions, you might find that you come up with something like this list of a hundred things. And there's something I, I find really interesting about that, Christopher, and like how you kind of ticked off like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like the easy things, the things you could just like schedule and do and whatever, but you had these sort of like more ambiguous ones that were buried. But I would argue that you had to do that. You have to go through the like the eat the steps that you can take first. And then you get to that point where you're like, okay, I, I guess I got to do this like tougher thing now. And that's where some of the magic happens. The item on the list that I kept putting off that I didn't want to do, that I didn't know what it was, was the thing that changed my life. And it changed the life of many other people afterwards. And it was just that willingness to give it a try. And just like many of the other things that I had done previously, I was okay with it failing. I was okay with it, you know, going to a certain point, seeing if it worked, and then letting it go, and then trying something else. A lot of people come to me asking about or, or saying that they have a you know business plan, which is great. If you have a business plan, amazing. You know, they ask for advice or sort of direction. I'm sort of a horrible person to ask for for that kind of guidance because I just don't think that way. For me, Colossal was about developing more about developing a process and a system and a, a method of discovery. And sort of this repeatable um, action of like being able to, you know, discover an image, discover an artist, discover a story, and then how I was going to go about sharing that versus having a, having a big plan and meeting, a, you know, a certain goal or a step or a certain amount of revenue or something like that. The whole first couple of years were spent sort of developing what the core competency of the business was going to be, which was sort of curation in and of itself. And then figuring out how to build a business around that kind of perfected little piece. Yeah. And I think that really does actually translate into actionable advice though, because you mentioned before too about, you know, falling into a rhythm where you were posting every single day, then the process, the system, method of discovery. And I think for anybody out there, whether it's an artist or an entrepreneur, something you can take to heart is, you know, maybe the, the concept of this business plan and every, like the goals and the metrics and everything might not be where you need to be, but getting those processes, systems, and getting into that rhythm where you're just doing something day in, day out really gets you to that point where then you see, okay, where's this going and what do I do from here? So sagging on into a little more about Colossal and what you're doing now. So we really love, you know, as we've followed your outlet for years, 
And we love that Colossal showcases both emerging and established artists in lots of different mediums. How do you and your team go about discovering art and artists, especially like the subject matter and the visuals, since I'm sure a lot of your readers find out about these artists from your site? I was listening to uh, an earlier episode, I think two or three, Shinanise Dembro, is that, am I saying that? Shinanise Dembrot. Dembrot, sorry. She, you know, is, is, is an editor and she was talking about how, you know, at some point you get subscribed to all of the lists and you're, you know, you're just getting bombarded with information. I was, I was making dinner listening to that, just nodding up and down. Like, yes, I totally gets it. Being a good editor, being a good writer, being a good curator, you have to be willing and excited to be completely saturated in art and ideas and projects. So I use Feedly to read about a hundred different websites and blogs and tumblers and, and different feeds that I, I keep up with. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook to a degree. And we get email submissions, probably 30 to 40 a day that we go through. But I look at absolutely everything and it's probably half of my time total in a day is just taking in and synthesizing everything that's out there after doing this for for you know a decade the you do get the advantage of of establishing relationships with artists and with museums and with galleries so you know certain people are reaching out to you to, to let you know kind of what's going on and then you're also you know we have this a huge wealth of 6 or 7000 artists that we've written about now and there are many that we like to go and sort of check in on and go to their website and go to their Instagram and, oh, we haven't talked about them in three years or five years. What are they up to? So it really is just taking in an enormous amount of information and then maybe picking two or three things for the day that we're going to focus on. It's the thing about the job that I absolutely love the best because it's just every day. Honestly, it's like sort of Christmas. You just open up this package and what's in here? What am I going to discover? Kind of being able to find the stories and the things that we feel represent us as a publication, that, you know, artists that we feel are, are, are making a, an impact in the world through their work or the stories they're trying to share. That's amazing. And I love what you just said about really getting saturated in, you know, really enjoying that feeling of being saturated in the world that you care about, in this case, art and design and culture. And I think that's also kind of good input for artists who are listening about, you know, you don't necessarily have to do a refresher in art school every two years but just immersing yourself and getting, you know, that that feed of information and new visuals that are out there, I think is such a cool way to improve and grow your practice. That thing you mentioned, Feedly, I think is really interesting. I don't use it, but I would like to now that I've heard about it. It seems like it's like an aggregator of different media publications or and once Google Reader died, uh, everyone, you know, in the kind of blog world and the journalism world sort of talked about blogs being dead. And Feedly is just a perfect replacement for that platform. It allows you to do almost all of the exact same things. So it's an RSS reader, um, but you're able to track all kinds of different sources and you can track Twitter and you can track just anything that where things are being published on websites that lets you sort of kind of bring it and categorize it and, you know, read a whole bunch of stuff really, uh, really quickly. Very cool. I'm going to check it out myself for sure. <laughs> Moving to another topic that 
our artists ask that all the time. And, you know, when artists are starting their own art business, they're learning how to start delegating because you start out, like you said, doing everything yourself. So with Colossal, you've gotten pretty colossal over the years. How did you learn to let go and delegate aspects of the site by bringing in writers and staff? And do you have any tips for our audience on how to get comfortable doing that? It is so hard in the very beginning to delegate any part of your business to anyone. I'm sure as any any artist uh, or entrepreneur, business owner can relate, you know, your your business, your brand or your work or, or whatever, you know, it's just absolutely as an extension of the fabric of who you are. And to le- start to delegate some of those responsibilities to somebody else can be really frightening because you feel, I, don't, I certainly have felt as soon as somebody else is making decisions about this business that I've lost, you know, I've lost something, I've lost control or I'm losing a part of myself in a way. Of course, that's wrong. <laughs> there are many, many people uh, in the world who are much, much more competent at doing parts of your business than you are. <laughs> and I've learned that uh, the hard way. Also to my delight in that there are a great many things. You know, it's certainly it's an issue of trust. It's an issue of finding the right person who you think matches you know, your values or has a background in sort of whatever it is that you need them to do. But, you know, once you find the right people, you know, your business only gets better. Your work only gets better. There are still always, I think any good business owner or any good, you know, any entrepreneur um, who really cares about what they're doing is still going to be intimately involved in many aspects of their business and all the different, you know, kind of messy details that span so many things. Um, but there, there is a point at which you cannot grow. Your business cannot grow unless you're willing to let go of certain pieces of it. I've been very fortunate, you know, along the way to, to run into the right people at the right time. And that fear has very much over the years has very much dissipated. And that I know that almost every aspect of my business, uh, I can plug somebody in, a freelancer, a writer, a contractor, a developer, to sort of handle certain pieces of it. The, the, the site has only gotten better because of it. So I took one really major thing out of what you said, Christopher, and I think everyone should take it to heart, that there are many people out there more competent at parts of your business than you are. I think that's an amazing mantra because when you're a solo entrepreneur, And like you said, trust factors into it. You're like, no, only I can do my bookkeeping. And then you put it off for two months and only I can do my sales and marketing. And then you just don't do it. So really just knowing that fact that like you have something you do that only you can do, but there's other things that other people can do better than you can. The second part that you mentioned about when you find the right people, things improve, your business only gets better. That's so important. Even for you know our audience who are primarily artists, they're thinking, okay, I'm just an artist. I don't you know don't need a staff. But actually, having people that handle parts of that for you enables you to really focus your energy on creating your work. And like you said, you'll still be involved in many of the components, but being able to let that fear dissipate and grow, it's I think it's so critical whether you're a business of one or one thousand people just to be able to do that. 
And it's very, um, one of the most important aspects of it, of sort of delegating, whether it's you know, bringing on an assistant or having somebody else do your bookkeeping or, or, or whatever it is, that amount of time gets freed up and certainly you can focus on other things. But specifically, and I'm a big proponent of this, every year I read uh, Cal Newport's book, uh, Deep Work, sort of about how you focus and how you think about things. And just the benefit of being able to take a couple of hours and not work. I'm not saying just go off and goof off, but to think about your business, to think about your work, to think about um, you know where things are going, what's working, what's not working, and just to catch your breath is so, so invaluable. Yeah, I would completely agree. And that kind of goes back to your original question of uh, how you started Colossal, just even taking that time away from this job that you were doing and you know having some time to think about things really got you into the thing that you were doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really important. I've heard of Deep Work. I have not read it. I just added it to my reading list and I will look it up. (laughs) Great. Give us the author again. Who is it? Cal Newport. Cal Newport. So everybody, your Amazon cart by the time you finish this should include that book, Deep Work. So take a look. I'm going to add it to mine right now. So Christopher, we're talking about websites a lot here, and, and ultimately, you know, your business primarily exists on a website. What advice would you give an artist creating their own website to A, get more people to click through to their site, and B, to also sell their work on their own platform? Spend more time than probably most on artists' websites. I am actually the person who is going to go through and click through your archives I'm going to be the person who's reading your bio. I'm going to be looking for your social media links. Like I am the person who goes through dozens of these sites every single day. The design of your website doesn't really matter. <laughs> like it really doesn't matter. You can spend time on it and money on it and I get it and you want to look professional. What matters is the documentation of your work specifically. And what I'm talking about here is photography how you take the time to present your work. I I almost feel like you should be spending as much time thinking about how the work might be translated onto the internet as you do maybe working on the piece to a degree. I have been on absolutely terrible websites with great photography. And I thought, oh, this is, you know, I can't click through this website. It doesn't make any sense. But these photos are amazing and I understand what the artist is doing. You know, we can't wait to write about them versus going on to an amazing website that's really well designed that has not has artwork that's not well documented. That's not you know poorly lit or doesn't really express what I feel to be, you know, the best quality of their of their work. So that would be kind of the first thing that I would say is really thinking about how you're going you know, you're going to make the piece, but how are you going to communicate it digitally, you know, on Instagram or Behance or wherever it is you're going to end up sharing the work online? There are so many great tools that are just really, really easy to use to sell your own work. I, you know, I, of course, there's just a laundry list and I, I wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, suggest one, you know, one platform over the other. It's just whatever ever works best for you. But I think that it helps to have sort of a broad presence. You know, you can't spend days of the week just 
out there publishing your work and managing social media accounts and that sort of thing. But I do think that being on a couple different platforms at once greatly increases the odds that your work is going to click somewhere. I've seen people that have enormous followings on one platform and a really small following somewhere else. I don't know why that happens. Maybe maybe you're really good at posting your work with uh, with a really witty quote, and that just goes viral on Twitter, and then you have this Twitter following, and that's where you reach your audience. Or maybe you're really good at creating process videos and recording uh, you know, what's, what, what your studio is like, or you're an interesting person, you uh, like to be on camera, so maybe doing Instagram makes a lot of sense. But I feel like giving a couple of different platforms a chance you know, using your website as like a base and then sort of syndicating out like what it is you're doing, what you're working on, your projects, that sort of thing. So you're sort of creating your own little, you know, your own little ecosystem. I love that. There's no perfect social media that's a one size fits all or no perfect sales channel. But leaning into what you do best, if you're really good at process videos, maybe something like YouTube or Instagram Reels is really good for you. And if you're not, you just want to post a picture of yourself working on your work three or four days a week, Instagram might be the thing for you. I think it's a really cool way to look at it instead of looking for the perfect one, just kind of trying a few out and seeing which one sticks and which one you do well on. I had an artist on here recently, a very, very big artist. Um, and he told me, and he was not, he was like a, you know, a mid-career artist. He said TikTok was huge for him. He was doing like incredible results through TikTok. And I couldn't because that defies the demographics that I've seen published about it. No, it's actually great. They love seeing me put these tiny little things and he, he creates these massive mosaics out of it. And it worked really well for TikTok. I myself have not been on TikTok. Like I understand it. I see hundreds of videos mostly get posted on Instagram, but I personally haven't even been on it. So you never know, you know who's listening, where they are, what platform they're on. Um, I don't think you need to necessarily become a media company for your artwork, but I would say, you know, experiment and, and try things out. And you never know where something is suddenly going to click. I love that. You never know where it's going to click. So just try it all out. And then I wanted to circle back just because I think it's a really good point and they need to hear it one more time. The first thing you said about the website, I mean, guys, you're listening to someone who browses thousands of artists' websites. This is really good input. The design doesn't matter as much as the photos and how you translate your work to the internet. And that's so, so, so important. And I would say particularly if your work has texture, if it has different gradients and things that are hard to see, you have to find a way that someone visiting your website sees them. That's going to be more important than how you set up your navigation or all that. Like really being able to see your work is so vital. I agree with you completely, Christopher. In the last couple of years, and I've I've looked at tens of thousands of sites. And I can't think of a time where I'm like, oh, this website's really left an impression on me. <laughs> it's all about the work. Like that's that's all that I'm there for. So, you know, clean, straightforward, you know, maybe it's helpful for you for what you do to, to you know, develop a brand or a logo. And I get that very important, but the, the documentation I think is so much more important. I love that. Just kind of going back to the social media piece we were just talking about, you know, we talked about ways artists can do it. Let's talk about how just how Colossal utilizes other platforms like Instagram, Twitter, or others, kind of like what you mentioned about using the website as a base and then syndicating. What are some of the strategies you're using right now for social media to support your ultimate yeah. website? 
I'm going to give you a kind of a contrary answer. I hate to do this, sure. but no, it's fine. But we do things we do things differently. I don't think we have ever had an internal conversation in ever about a social media strategy for Colossal. We we don't use any sort of a um, you know. There's all these platforms like Hootsuite to uh, schedule posts and, and follow the trends and and that sort of thing. We don't do any of it. I would much rather spend all of that time and energy where I could be fretting and worrying about, you know, metrics and social media and reach and that sort of thing. And instead, we're going to focus that on the content. We're going to spend that extra time looking for amazing stories or amazing artists or making sure that we're publishing more frequently. I look at, for the most part, look at social media generally as syndication. Certainly everything that gets published on the site is going to show up on all of our channels. On And we, we're everywhere. We're on Tumblr and Pinterest and LinkedIn and Facebook. And so everything kind of get, get, goes out there and goes in our newsletters and emails, which is a little bit of a different uh, beast. But there really is no kind of magic solution or strategy that we have that we kind of focus on. All of our tweets, all of our Instagram posts, everything is just written by hand. We don't automate anything because I believe, you know, anyone in your audience or just anywhere can really kind of tell when something is being automated and copied and pasted across multiple platforms. And for me personally, it makes it just instantly not interesting to see that, you know, you have a bot that just automatically publishes your Instagram link to your Twitter account, I'm likely to just mute that account. I want to hear you speak and I want to hear your ideas and I want to feel that there's another human behind the content that I'm digesting in my feeds. So I feel like we want to respect our audience and make sure that we are, you know, right there behind everything that we put out. Maybe it's not on exactly a set schedule. Maybe we're running a little late. That's fine because the story that we just found or the artist that we just spoke to or the quotes that we just got from this gallery are really, really interesting. And overall, you know, the growth uh, around our, our platform, I think, has suggested to us that that is an okay strategy. I love that. And that, that also circles back to something that was on the, the podcast with Shane and East uh, Dambrot the other day. You know, I had asked her, you know, what, what do you, why do you write about a particular artist? She's like, well, you know, they have to not be boring. So that's, the, I mean, really having really, really quality stuff. And if you're a media company, really quality information, quotes, new art that people haven't seen before. And if you're an artist and you're using social media, which I think all artists listening to this are, I mean, what can you tell your audience that's interesting and exciting? And in Christopher's words, that's going to mean more than having some really, well hashed out strategy, just having really good stuff. And I, I hate to use the C word, but really good content. Like what you're showing should be really strong and exciting and something people want to to click on or to read more about. So I think that's a great way of looking at it instead of diving too deep into strategy and then finding that it really doesn't do anything for you. Absolutely. And then, you know, you sort of end up with, you feel tied to your strategy. You feel tied to your schedule. You feel tied to your your metrics. And I'm sort of like, I asked to like, to what end does that really improve your business? Or does that just help you meet some numbers? Can that energy, can that expenditure in, in, in money and effort 
What if that's focused instead on your on your work? And uh, I think it's a, a really interesting way to, to look about it. And I also think it's a less stressful way to think about it. It's, it. You end up with a program and an idea that's more tailored to who you are or to who your business is, as opposed to some sort of artificial like structure. I love it. And I think everyone should take that to heart as well. This has been an amazing chat, Christopher. I wish we could go on, but we are wrapping up to the end here. What I want to ask is if you have one more word of advice that you'd share with our artists out there who are trying to get their work noticed and maybe make a bigger splash in the world. I was reflecting on a whole bunch of artists that we've covered recently on Colossal. For the most part, they were all um, on Instagram and I'm able to scroll through and you you can see very quickly uh, a couple months worth or a couple years worth of, of work and process and that sort of thing. And I noticed again and again and again, a lot of the artists that we've written about recently, and maybe this is because of COVID, maybe this is because of quarantine, I don't know, but that so many artists we've covered have recently changed what it is they do. They've changed, they've made a change in their medium, like completely. Um, They've gone 2D, they've gone 3D, they've started doing animation, and they're just trying something new. Because what happens is, you know, we're discovering their work, and I go and I scroll through their feed, and clearly, you know, these are practicing artists. They've been doing work for five, ten years, and it's it's all there published. And really great, you can see them working out things. But it's like only the last six months or this new thing that they're doing that sort of come out of nowhere is the thing that we're latching onto as the most interesting or the thing that we want to tell and that we want, you know, that we want to write about. So I guess, you know, my advice, try something new. (laughs) I think that is a great note to end the show on. Try something new. Try something different. There's really no better time than now to do it. I think it's a great time. I don't know if it's a trend or not either, but it's something that everyone could take to heart. To all of you business artists out there listening to us today, Christopher has been here sharing his amazing perspective with you all. You're going to want to go back. You're going to want to listen again. You're going to want to take notes. And if you're like me, you're going to want to order that book too, which I already did on Amazon Prime. You can listen to this episode and all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. If you want to connect with Christopher, you can follow him at Christopher Jobs on Instagram and at Colossal on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also visit them at www.thisiscolossal.com. If you get Feedly, make sure that you add thisiscolossal.com to it so you keep up with what they're covering as well. As always, remember that we're Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share or a story whenever you're listening to and enjoying or benefiting from the Artist Business Plan podcast. We're also really excited about our upcoming fair schedule, which includes actual in-person shows coming up in Seattle, D.C., New York, L.A., San Francisco, and we are coming back to Miami Beach in spring of 2022 as well. To find out more about how to apply and exhibit with Superfine, drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world, and one of our team will get back to you immediately. You can also visit www.superfine.world slash sell your art. That's hyphenated sell hyphen your hyphen art to learn more about the value that we offer artists like yourselves. And once again, we would really, really, really appreciate it if you take just a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's our number one listening platform. Those ratings and reviews are so critical in helping other artists 
like yourselves, find us. And of course, we love reading the comments that you write on there as well. As always, I would like to end the show by sharing a quick quote with you all. And today the quote is, opportunity does not knock, it presents itself when you beat down the door. And that is the actor, Kyle Chandler, who's one of my favorite shows, Bloodline. Christopher, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with our audience. We are so grateful to that. Thank you so much, Alex. It was a pleasure. Pleasure was all mine. Everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen for yourself. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Thank you.